A patch-free divisional round, Ricky tells Hollywood what they need to hear, and sorry, it's not World War III just yet, but it is a brand new air attack starting right now. And I hope you guys enjoyed your new year, your holidays, your Christmas, all that good stuff. Um, I don't get carried away with the happy new year stuff. I'm not one of these assholes that just wishes you a happy new year. And then by the 4th or 5th of January, I'm back to wishing ill upon you. No, I hope you do well all year. I really do. Unless, unless you're Hezbollah. And I would say Iran right now. We'll get to that a little bit later. I'm not, I'm not very happy with those people. So I hope, uh, hope you got what you wanted for Christmas. I hope uh, those of you men that allowed yourselves to have pictures taken with matching pajamas with your significant others. I hope you're happy with yourselves. Those those pictures aren't going anywhere. They're forever. That, that's, that's what it is. That is now the winter version of apple picking. That's called, look what I can make this dumb motherfucker do. Look at this, guys. Matching, matching pajamas. You got nothing better to spend your money on. I don't want to hear a word from any of you, okay, about how you're tight on cash if I've seen you in matching pajamas on the internet in the last five years. Give me a break. Oh, my God. Please. She can make you do that. What can't she make you do? Good Lord. I, speaking of which, so Lindsey Vaughn and P.K. Subban are now engaged. And they announced this on Instagram in their matching pajamas. I'm not kidding. I'm like, what am I looking? I sat there and stared for like, like a minute. Like P.K. Subban in these pajamas with her. And she looks ridiculous. Too. These are grown men and women. You're wearing little footy pajamas on the internet. You look absurd. And I'm saying, why is he sitting there letting her emasculate him like this? This is completely ridiculous. And it gets even better because he's got an engagement ring on. And she goes and carries on and makes a big deal about the whole thing. What she won't tell you is that he actually proposed to her first. She didn't propose to him. And some people had a problem with that. And then some people thought, well, you know, he's black and she's white and here she is proposing to him. What does she think she owns? I mean, people just, their minds go in every ridiculous direction when it comes to some of this stuff. It's ridiculous, guys. Who cares? They're, they're interracial couple. It's not a big deal. Okay? Interracial couples. That's how you got Derek Jeter. It's how you got Steph Curry. It's how you got Patrick Mahomes. You'll be okay. Okay? It's 2020. It's not the roaring 20s. It's 2020. Grow up already. That's got nothing to do with, with anything here or there. But here's another female athlete. Where have we seen this before? Her sport's only popular so often. She's at the tail end of her career, okay? Now she wants to go full-blown woke politics. Boy, where have I seen that before? I'm trying to think. I mean, she hasn't colored her hair purple yet, but I mean, are we maybe, maybe we're halfway there. I don't know. My God. But then she wants to put an engagement ring on him, which kind of came across as A, grandstanding, and B, just sort of marking her territory. This is a girl who dated Tiger Woods. And if we know about Tiger and his old habits and how that whole relationship is alleged to have ended, it kind of makes sense. PK wants to get in on this stuff. Hey, man, do what you got to do. Okay. <laughs> she got, hey, listen, she got you into those pajamas. She can get you to wear an engagement ring, which, by the way, there's no way you could possibly take off your finger the minute you're out of her sight when you and your teammates are on the road. Teammates, by the way, who I'm sure will not give you any kind of shit for wearing a male engagement ring. My goodness. The world coming to God. Um, where do I want to go next with the there's a lot of woke bullshit we're going to get to. We'll talk about the Golden Globe stuff. because I thought that was fantastic. What Rich, Ricky Gervais did. What I did not think was fantastic. And there was no show last week. Unfortunately, I, I came home from the holidays and I was I was dreadfully ill for about a week. So no show last week. The Army Navy game. Um, I hope the Army and the Navy have both concluded what I what I'm guessing were about 10 minute investigations into these allegations that the kids were flashing white power symbols on ESPN. Does anybody actually believe that's true? 
So this is the day after they announce the impeachment of the president. They don't get the response they want, and the next thing you know, there's these kids playing the, the circle game where, you, you know, if you, lo- you make somebody look, they basically get to punch you. It's juvenile. It's stupid. It was stupid when I was a kid. It's stupid now. Kids are doing it on national TV, and there's a, and there's a bunch of people who claim that that, that OK symbol is actually a white power symbol, which it, I, I guess it has been used that way by a very small, small percentage of the population. But they see these kids making these symbols on TV, and they decide, oh, these kids in, in the Naval Academy and these kids that go to West Point, they're white supremacists. And this is what happens when Trump's the president and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's not the first time they've gone after kids with their woke bullshit. But now they're trying to ruin the Army-Navy game. You've got to be fucking kidding. Okay, Friday night they announce impeachment. The response is very blot. No one cares. Everyone thinks it's a bunch of nonsense. So now Saturday they decide they're going to try to ruin the Army-Navy game and ruin the lives of a few kids who have worked you know, the kids are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. But the small time they've had on this earth, they basically dedicated to getting into those academies. For those of you that don't know, those are basically the hardest schools to get into in the country. They're harder than Ivy League schools. I mean, I, I went to high school with a kid who went to the Naval Academy. He had to actually get a letter of recommendation from a congressman, from a U.S. congressman, just to, just to get in there. Really just to get considered to get in there. And then once you go in there, I mean, they, they, they own you. They control every little element of your life. Do you really think these kids worked that hard and sacrificed so much so they could flash white supremacy signs on national television? The kids are smart enough to get into Army. They're smart enough to get into West Point. But they're not only white supremacists, they're dumb enough to do that on TV. Are you out of your fucking mind? You know what kind of a coward? And this was a very coordinated thing, by the way. You had people in Hollywood. You had journalists. I mean, people all over the place taking it was disgusting. It was a dog whistle. It was gaslighting. I mean, you're insane. You're fucking insane. And now you're trying to ruin the Army-Navy game with your political bullshit. And it just so happens these same people who wanted to show you clips of the president getting booed at a Washington Nationals game just so happens the president showed up at the Army-Navy game and got a rousing standing ovation. From colonels, from generals, from from kids in the Naval Academy, kids who go to West Point. And every one of those kids graduates and inst- instantly becomes an officer in the Army, in the Navy, or the Marines. Like Malcolm Perry, the kid who's the, the quarterback on Navy, record-setting quarterback on Navy, he's actually chosen to go to, the, go to the Marines. Now, he doesn't have to go to Paris Island. Apparently, he goes back to Quantico for like six months of training. That's what these kids do. They graduate as officers. They give you four years of their lives after they give you four years of their life at these schools. And this is the kind of nonsense you're accusing them of. This is what you're accusing them of doing. I guess you didn't learn from the Covington Catholic kids, who, by the way, remember Nick Salmon, the kid who was smiling while the guy beat the drum in his face, and he was, and he was a white supremacist, okay? He just settled out of court yesterday with CNN for what I'm assuming is an ungodly amount of money. And make no mistake about it. Like I said, this was a completely coordinated effort to try to ruin these kids and try to shine a light on them because I guess the impeachment thing wasn't working or or whatever. To try to make your bullshit point that the entire country is just going down the tubes. The entire country is is filled with white supremacists because look, they're they're even at West Point and they're even at the Naval Academy. Are you fucking kidding? Okay? Are you kidding me? These are politicians. Now, the politicians won't openly come out and say it. Okay, they're 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 not gonna they're not gonna put themselves out there, but they'll have their minions do it. And I thought that was completely pathetic. You're taking some of the best kids we have to offer. It's funny if you sneak into the country, you're the best and brightest. But if you go to the Naval Academy or you go to West Point, ah, you're just you're just a white supremacist. You're a Nazi. Give me a fucking break. Disgusting. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be sick in the head. And some of this stuff with the politics has been sick for a long time. But it's just ridiculous where you can just basically rewrite reality. Give you another example. Don Imus passed away. 
Don Imus was a radio legend, an icon, especially in New York. And if you like sports radio, you don't realize this, most of you, but you owe Don Imus because Don Imus came into a radio station years ago in New York City called WFAN. WFAN was the first all-sports radio station that there had been. And in the late 80s, it was a little bit weird there. They'd fly guys in from around the country, like Jim Lampley and like national talents to come in and host shows on the weekend, and they'd fly them back out. It was kind of like, you know, a lot of the 80s, a lot of excess, a lot of spending, probably some hookers and coke. Who knows? I don't know. But maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know, but I mean, it just, they spent a lot of money bringing a lot of people in, and it just was kind of weird because a lot of them didn't click with New York. So eventually they decided, you know what, maybe we need a morning show. And they brought a guy in who definitely knew how to do a morning show, and that was Don Imus. And if you talk to people who worked at WFAN back then, some of them still work there to this day. Now there's not a lot of them left because you're talking about 30 years at this point. They will tell you that Don Imus saved WFAN with his show. And I was never really a big, big Imus fan. I was always a Stern guy. And he was, I mean, he was impossible with Stern. He tried to basically, because they both worked at WNBC years ago in New York together, and Stern was younger, and he basically had no interest in Stern coming in because he figured Stern would show him up. So basically he was just completely, just a, basically just a complete dick to Howard Stern. And a lot of people said he was on a professional level. However, he also did a lot of stuff for people outside of work. Okay, with the Imus Ranch and raising money for kids and the Hungerthon and all these things. His most famous moment in terms of negativity is obviously the 2007 situation where he made those comments about the Rutgers basketball team, which I think are pretty famous by now. Now, it's 2007. He also apologized for it. He met with the team. The team accepted his apology. And the Rutgers basketball team, and really, really it was their coach, made a bigger deal about it than they had to because he made a lot of jokes about that. I thought at the time, hey, man, he's going after college kids. That's a little weird. I mean, you know, he, he was kind of an equal opportunity offender, and they would definitely make, you know, racially insensitive or even racist jokes on that, you know, things that walked a line on that show. No question about it. It's just how he was. He was like your great racist grandpa, which, of course, now is like the worst thing ever. I got it, yada, yada, yada. And there's people whose job it is to call him a racist now for the rest of his life, or, or even that, now that he's passed away. And I thought that part was ridiculous. Like, if you're going to mention this stuff in 2007, first of all, he passed away in 2019. If you have to go to 2007 to find something bad that the guy said, then obviously you're ignoring 12 years in between. And obviously he wasn't that bad because if, if he was that you know, extremely racist and he was just completely incurable and a guy incapable of being saved or any of those things, then you would have had something a lot more recent than 2007 that came out of his mouth. So there's that. And that situation back then, like I said, the Rutgers basketball team, Vivian Stringer kind of milked the situation a little bit got her team on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They all made the pouty face. Think Michelle Obama at Trump's inauguration. Pouty face. They all kind of made the pouty face, even the white girls. And, you know, she got a lot of attention for her program. She's not stupid. She also met with a New York senator at the time named Hillary Clinton, which is interesting because Rutgers is in New Jersey and Hillary was a senator in New York, but I digress. Ibis ends up apologizing. The thing blows over, but he did lose his job. He lost his job at FAN. He got fired. He obviously had a career after that. He did a lot for people. So there's people who remember the guy when he passes away, and they're saying, boy, he helped me a lot. He did so, many, so much for kids. He did stuff for kids with SIDS, spina bifida, spina bifida um, kids with pediatric cancer. And there's people who are jumping down the throats of the people paying him compliments, like, oh, my God, he's a racist. We can't do that. Wait a second. Wait a second. Again, if you got to go to 2007... To prove your point about the guy being a racist, you know what? Maybe you're grasping a little bit. But that's, that's unfortunately, some people's jobs now in 2020. Their job is to badmouth. That's because they have their own agenda. Usually, usually when people are badmouthers, it usually comes down to one of three things. Jealousy, money, or guilt. They got their own guilty conscience. They've done something themselves, maybe to the person they're badmouthing, and they're just trying to cover it up. 
In this case with Imus, you got people who have badmouthed him for so long, they can't possibly have people saying nice things about him. Because once they call you a racist, your whole life's supposed to be over, except his life wasn't over. His life wasn't over in 2007. And even before 2007, he had done a lot, a lot for, for young people, especially sick young people. I'll tell you what, ask, ask those kids who are now healthy adults if it, it's a package deal. You could have the racist jokes and the money he gave you, or neither. Which one do you think they would choose? So just because, you know, you call someone racist or just because you don't like their brand of humor because you think they took it too far or because they made a mistake, a mistake they apologized for and a mistake they lost their job for. You know what? As I've always said, actions instead of words. If all you can do is hold people's words against them, then you probably don't have much on them. You're probably just going, you're probably just the guilty conscience badmouther where you've done something yourself or you've got some sort of political agenda, you know, or, or, or you're getting paid to badmouth. I thought that was really ridiculous. I mean, it's one thing. You can totally mention the 2007 stuff about Imus because it's definitely part of his whole portfolio of work. It's part of his legacy. I totally get it. The Rutgers basketball team, will, that, that thing will always hang over him and his legacy. But don't get pissed off at people who tell you the truth about their interactions with him. Okay? If you got a problem with his bad words, but you have, you have no time, you're, like anything good that he did is going to fall on deaf ears, well, then you just got an agenda. You're just a dishonest person. You're really just a liar. You can't even stand to hear the truth about somebody. You can't even st stand to hear the good stuff about the guy because you've already branded him racist, and in your little mind, you think that just ends his whole life? Now, then you know what? That's your problem. So Don Imus, like I said, if you are into, if you're into sports radio, that guy had a big influence on you because WFAN probably doesn't make it without Don Imus, and if WFAN doesn't make it, you probably don't have ESPN Radio and, and a thousand other sports stations out there right now. Guys took a chance in the 80s thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe we can make it all sports radio station work. They couldn't quite do it at first. They just didn't quite have it. They just didn't have the right people in the right places. In comes Imus. They have a morning show. Gives the place some stability. Gives them a lead into their afternoon content, their late morning and afternoon content. And here we are all this time later and WFAN is still around. But I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, you want to go and key on something he said in 2007. Eddie Murphy just hosted SNL a couple weeks ago for their Christmas episode. I watched it. I mean, was it as funny as people said? Not even close. But it was funny. I mean, I, there are definitely times I laughed. I mean, legitimately laughed five or six times during that show. It's a shame. It's like being in a dysfunctional relationship where you're actually happy for a couple weeks. You're like, oh, my God, it's the greatest thing ever. Like, no, asshole, you're supposed to be happy. SNL is supposed to make me laugh, but because it doesn't make you laugh anymore, I really don't even watch it. In fact, that's the first episode I've watched all year. And I'm saying, oh, my God, this was actually kind of funny a third of the time. It was funny. But you're going to tell me Eddie Murphy's never said things that are inappropriate in his past? What, are you fucking kidding me? He's never said sexist remarks, really. He's never said things about homosexuals, really. Really. How come Howard Stern has a career? You also had Hillary Clinton on a show about a month ago. I'm sure it doesn't hurt. Okay? He's going a little bit more woke than he used to be. But he, I mean, just watch the movie Private Parts. It'll tell you everything you know. You need to know not just about how rude Don Imus was to him, ironically enough, but how dirty and how vulgar he used to be back in the 80s and 90s. In fact, you've got a... You've got a sitting governor in Virginia and a prime minister in Canada who have both been caught in 2019 wearing blackface, and they still have jobs, and no one gives a shit about them. But Don Imus passes away, and because of something he said in 2007, you're going to go and just trample on his grave? Shame on you. Grow up. That's what I, that, that's, see, right there is what I'm talking about. The bad-mouthing is, is not even close to being sincere when you look at it from that perspective. Same people who glorify Justin Trudeau and, and Ralph Northam and Eddie Murphy and Howard Stern. They glorify those guys, but Don Imus is a bad guy? Stop it. There's a backstory there where Don Imus got into it with a black reporter years ago who some people never forgave him for that. Bottom line is this. It just shows you how with the whole woke America, woke politics, woke Twitter, whatever it is, it's just all bullshit. 
there's just too much picking and choosing. It's, it's complete nonsense. If they like you, they'll say nice things about you. If they don't, yeah, it's fine. And it usually comes down, unfortunately, to political party. Just how it is. Speaking of which, uh, the Golden Globes, you know, the ugly cousin of the, of the Oscars and the Emmys, I guess, because they do both, um, was this past Sunday. Ricky Gervais said it's his last time hosting. I don't know if he was kidding or not because he, he kind of says stuff like that every year. Absolutely floored the audience. Absolutely just laid into woke Hollywood, basically, and said, you know, you guys want to come up here and get political. And he mentioned something. And it's very fair. They work for Amazon. They work for Apple. They work for Disney. These are companies that treat their employees like complete dog shit. And these people are going to get up there and just blither on with their with their boring, repetitive politics. And they put them right in their place before they even did it. He even made comments and made jokes about Jeffrey Epstein. And people thought they were inappropriate. And I'm looking at some of the blank faces in the crowd. And I can't believe the producers of the show were showing the people who had a problem with those statements. Don't you think, like, when a guy makes jokes about Jeffrey Epstein, that you would just go ahead and fake laughter even if you were uncomfortable? <laughs> Some of these guys, some of these guys were so thrown off. They're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Don't you think you should just like pretend like you think it's really funny just to kind of throw them off the scent? Oh, my God. And then and just true to form the day after they decide, well, he got us really good. What are we going to do? There's a coordinated attack in the media against Ricky Gervais. He's right wing. He was a jerk. He was a dick. He was inappropriate. What? You didn't know what you're getting yourself into. It was the fifth time he made sure he told you it was the fifth time he was hosting. Kate Blanchett, Russell Crowe, want to go on. Now, they're Australian, so let's be fair about it. What's going on in Australia right now is terrible. There's a link on my Twitter, uh, BC, a.k.a. The Man, by the way. There's a link there in one of my most recent tweets to the Red Cross in Australia. You got money, you want to give anything, give something. Those firefighters there are heroes. You got koala bears that are, some people think are on the verge of extinction. It's an ugly, ugly situation. But again, you've just got to make it political, don't you? You've got people running for president in this country who are looking for your money because Australia is on fire. What they won't tell you is that they've arrested almost 200 people in 2019 for arson, just as it pertains to bushfires. Is it hot there? Yeah, it's hot there. It's summertime there. Is it dry there? Yeah, I, I don't think it just started getting hot or dry there. I'm pretty sure. All you had to do, all you had to do is do a teeny tiny bit of research, and you'll find out they've been having these fires since 1850. So spare me your political drivel, Kate Blanchett and Russell Crowe, when it comes to the wildfires. Matter of fact, I think you owe the arsonists an apology. These guys worked hard to set those fires. Give me a break. But the speech that got the most attention, that was the most heartfelt and the most passionate and the most poignant and the most appropriate and the most timely came from Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams is going to give us some advice here, people. Now, remember, she did date Heath Ledger. I'm pretty sure we know how that ended, but that's okay. That's okay. She understands you. She understands me. Never mind what Ricky Gervais said to open the show. I'm sure she paid him no mind. She's a strong, independent woman of the 20s, the 2020s, and she's going to get her point across. So women, 18 to 118, when it is time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. Okay. Why else do people vote, Michelle? Okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to call you an out-of-touch celebrity, but why exactly is it that you think people vote? Are they voting in someone else's interest? Maybe they're kids, but their kids are kind of part of that. And she, she by the way, just... Just ironically enough, she started this whole speech rambling on, I think, about abortion. I couldn't tell if we were supposed to give her a standing ovation for having an abortion or not having an abortion or both. I really have no idea, and I'm not sure she does either. Let's keep listening. It's what men have been doing for years. Whoa! Whoa! Woo! 
as busy Phillips wipes a tear from her eye and gets herself on camera because, let's face it, no one's giving her a show anytime soon. Yes, men have been doing it for years because, again, that's what happens. Everyone gets a vote. I'm pretty sure the ladies in this country have been allowed to do it for quite a while now. Who exactly have you been voting for, women? I'm just curious. Here comes the obligatory whooping and standing ovations and... Every, every woman's going to look at her like she's the most important voice in the entire planet right now. Kind of like when SNL makes a political joke and their studio audience just, what, just goes crazy. Just, woo! Ah, it's the funniest thing ever. It's what men have been doing for years, which is why the world looks so much like them. Oh, no. But don't forget we oh, are the no. largest voting body in this country. Uh-huh. Let's make it look more like us. Okay. Tommy and Matilda, I can't wait to come home to you. Yes, as Busy Phillips stands up, sweaty, loud, Busy Phillips just goes crazy. Just goes absolutely crazy for her bestie, Michelle Williams. Um, So let me get this straight. Women are just now supposed to be starting to vote in their best interest because that's what men have been doing. So what's it been? Men get out of the voting booth and there's a woman right behind them saying, hey, who'd you you pick? (laughs) Who who, who are we voting for tonight, honey? What's been going on here? So it's just the single girls and the lesbians that have been voting in their own self-interest. Everyone else is just doing what men want them to do. What, what, do you guys even run this shit by anybody? Maybe she ran it by Busy Phillips, and Busy was like, oh, no, that sounds really, really good. My, my God. Ricky Gervais was spot on when he opened up this show, and it's very simple. America has pretty much had it with Hollywood telling them what to do and how to think. Now, are there certain people that love it because it aligns with their political interests? Of course. And they'll give you the cheap applause and the whoops and everything else like it's, like it's highly original stuff. But the majority of people, Ricky Gervais hit it on the head. He said, you're in no position to lecture anybody. You know nothing about the world. And, and this right here is the epitome of that. That speech right there sums it all up. What do you think people do when they vote, you clown? Okay? Give me a fucking break already. My God, and, that, and this, that crazy smile on her face while she's doing it. And she sits there and pauses like she deserves an ovation for saying men have been voting like this. I mean, just say it. You don't like men. You got an issue with men. I get it. Just admit it. How do you think people have been voting? I mean, if it's all men, it's not all. First of all, our politicians are not all men. But if you think there's too many men in politics and you're telling me that women are the biggest group of voters because let's totally subdivide America. That's totally what we need. Well, then how do you think it got that way? Now, you're going to lecture every woman and tell them they have to vote for women now. That, that's exactly, I mean, you're going to close the show, because she was one of the last awards. You're going to close the show doing exactly what Ricky Gervais was talking about. That's how tone deaf these people are. Give me, a, that's, that's why we need more Ricky Gervaises in Hollywood. And Ricky Gervais has made his money, so he don't give a shit now. He's going to say whatever he wants. And I don't agree with everything the guy says. I really don't. But I agreed with that, and so did a lot of people. Absolutely nailed it. And I hope they have him back next year. I'm guessing they won't. They went full-blown vegan on the menu, too. That was, sure, that was a nice surprise. They said they were going to serve fish, and they went, ended up serving a main dish of mushrooms that were designed to look like scallops. I'm sure that was very, very popular. My God. I thought award shows were supposed to reward you. I thought, like, being invited to an award show was supposed to be a good thing. That menu sounded like a punishment. Good Lord. Um, as far as the Iran stuff, you know, first of all, let me just say this. I grew up where... When the bad guys got killed, like at the end of Die Hard, like when Hans Gruber is like falling to his ultimate demise, I was raised where like that's a good thing. I'm sorry, that's good. Ever see Iron Eagle? A little bit far-fetched. 17 year old kid just goes, you know, through the Middle East destroying, you know, oil refineries and no one does anything to him. And then the end, Louis Gossett Jr. ends up being alive and yada yada. I mean, you know, it mildly, mildly unrealistic, but it's good. He's just he was taking out bad guys the entire movie. I like stuff like that. So when I wake up and I find out that some guy who ordered an attack on a US embassy is dead, I'm sorry, I thought that was pretty good. Unfortunately, not everyone agrees. Let's, let's get a quote here from Iran's supreme leader. 
There is nothing new about American terrorist attacks against black and brown people for the expansion of American imperialism. He goes on. America has always sanctioned to besiege black and brown bodies both at home and abroad. American militarism is the weapon wielded by American imperialism to enforce its policing and plundering of the non-white world. Oh, wait a second. That was Colin Kaepernick that said that. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding. He actually fucking said that while we're about to supposedly go to war with Iran. You've got people. It's funny. Iran tries to get into one of our embassies, which I don't know if you remember the last time they got into one of our embassies. They weren't there to redecorate. They were there to do something a little bit nastier than that. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. So when they go to attack the embassy, it's, well, America is totally weak now. Nobody respects us because of our president. Then the president goes back and kills the guy who's responsible for the attack. Then all of a sudden, he's a madman. He's going to take us to World War III. Then Iran retaliates by firing missiles into a bunch of piles of sand, basically, which is, I mean, from where they, they, they fired it into a couple of military bases, which from what I understand, you'd have to be trying not to hit somebody to not hit anybody. And that's what they did. Told their people they got back at us. It's almost like they coordinated the whole thing behind closed doors. Like, hey, man, you killed this general. We don't want to go to war with you. We know you're going to kick our ass. We've got to do something, though. You got to let me save face. Let me fire some missiles into that army base. I'll give you plenty of notice. I'll tell you exactly where they're going to land. I'm not going to hit anybody. It's like Trump said, yeah, no problem fun. And now that there's not going to be World War III, it's like almost like people are unhappy. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, just, just growing up, I think I remember just once or twice hearing that the people in Iran do not really like the people in America. And whether it's the people or not, it doesn't matter. The countries are not allies. They don't get along. They just don't. Just how it is. I don't think whoever's president now or tomorrow or last week or last year or last decade has a lot to do with the fact that most people in Iran still think death to America is basically the approach they have. I know there's nice people in Iran. I, I know some Iranian people that live in America now. They're nice people. I'm sure they have family there. I don't want to see them go to war. But, I mean, it's not like they just started disliking us there. And you got people there in there that are running the show there that want us dead, but we can't kill them, and we can't say bad things about them because if we say bad things about them or we kill them, they may get mad, and that could be dangerous because they already want us dead. Yeah, like I said, I, I know the politics didn't just get dirty, but it's never been this dirty, I don't think. People are basically openly rooting for something bad to happen. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. I know you have an election coming up this year, but you got to be better than that. I'm sorry. I mean, really, grow up. You know, if they attack us, it's our, it's our fault. If we attack them, it's our fault. I mean, what, what? What? Come on. How dumb do you have to be to see what's going on here? Give me a fucking break. Yeah, if, if Trump attacks or, or Trump retaliates, he's a madman. But if he doesn't retaliate, oh, my God, he was just bluffing. He's all talk. Okay, great. And now today the conversation is back to being about Adderall. That tells you how much that tells you how much sincerity there is behind some of this nonsense. And again, it's all coordinated. It's all coordinated. It's 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 fucking insane. It really is. Um, MLB real quick. Not a ton to talk about. There's really two stories that that stood out to me. Number one, they got the Red Sox cheating in 2018. Why is that a big deal? Well, because number one, it's cheating. Number two, it's the Red Sox. And number three. Alex Cora. Alex Cora was part of the Astros in 2017. The longer Major League Baseball treats this like it's no big deal, like it's a joke, the longer it's going to keep going on, especially in this day, this day and age with all the technology. And the fact that they have not acted swiftly and decisively against the Astros, I think is a complete joke. And I'm not saying that as a Sour Grapes Yankees fan. It just You can't cheat. You can't have people stealing signs. I'm sorry. I know it's easy to do. I know it's part of the game. If the guy's on second base and he catches something, that's one thing. But you cannot be starting to use technology. And I'm sure they're not the only teams that, are, that have done it. But teams are going to get caught more and more. And it's, gonna, it's, just, it's a farce. Not to mention, and I've said this about the NFL too, if we're going to be pushing the idea of legalized sanctioned gambling, this is cheating. Can't have it. Cannot happen. Like I say, the longer MLB treats it like a joke, the longer, the longer these teams are going to act like it is a joke. There have to be consequences for this, and they have to be decisive. And it, basically... 
people have to, I don't, I don't want to say lose jobs, but they have to lose money. It's amazing. Someone tweets something in 2005, and it, you know, it comes back to, like, I don't know if Twitter existed in 2005, but somebody tweeted something in 2010, let's say, and it just follows them everywhere. Here's guys who are blatantly cheating over the last couple of years, and they still have their jobs, and nothing's happened to them. That's not okay. You get on Don Imus for stuff he said in 2007. You got a kid, remember, remember the kid from Iowa, who raised a ton of money for all of these sick kids at the hospital at the University of Iowa, and he was an Iowa State fan just because he held up a sign at college game day with a link to his Venmo because he wanted beer money. And so, of course, someone tries to ruin it for him because that's their job. Their job is to come in and dig through his old tweets and see if, hey, this guy is famous now. Is there something I can get him on from his past and make him pay? And, of course, there are tweets from when he was a kid and, you know, yada, yada, yada. They, they, were, they were inappropriate. They were wildly inappropriate. He acknowledged as much. But the next thing you know, Bush, who had a big partnership with him, was going to put his, his face on beer cans, said, okay, that's it. We want nothing to do with you anymore. Your values don't align with us, yada, yada, yada. You know, your tweets from 2010 or 2012 can come back to haunt you, but not something you did last year, the year before. I mean, Major League Baseball has got to grow up here, and I mean real fast. Now, one department where they, they are not hesitant when it comes to punishment, and I, I think it's a little bit weird, is with the domestic violence stuff. I have no problem with them taking a hard stance against domestic violence. That's, that's not my point. But I've been through this before with the Asuna situation, and now here's a situation with Domingo Herman, who gets half a season off. It includes the time that he missed at the end of last season, but he gets half a season off for the Yankees. We still don't know what he did. And with Osuna in, in Canada, there was a police report, but the police report is kept private. That's just the rule there. In this particular case with... With Domingo Herman, and I believe something happened in Yonkers with him, we don't know anything. And there was no police report. But once again, the guy gets half a season. So to me, with Major League Baseball, you're decisive in one sense, but then you're not in another sense. And I don't have a problem with you sending a message that you're anti-domestic violence. I don't, I don't think any sane person would. What I do have an issue with, though, as it pertains to the domestic violence policy, is the fact that now you're not telling us what happened. And I know there's a part of it that says, hey, listen, you got to protect the victim. You don't want to embarrass her. You don't want to embarrass the kids. But you don't have any information to give us? To me, if you can suspend the guy for half a year, you can give us an indication as to why. I think that's fair. Because people are saying, well, you know, he must have done something serious because it's more than Araldus Chapman got. Yeah, but Araldus Chapman got suspended years ago. That was like 2015, 16. And that involved choking. That involved a loaded weapon. Think about that. That's an argument with his wife, and he decided a loaded gun was going to be part of the whole scene here. He got a 30-game or a 30-day suspension. He got a month. Now, are you telling me what Domingo Herman did was three times as bad as what that guy did? Or are you telling me they're just punishing the guy more severely today? And how come we know about the incident with Geraldo Chapman, but we know nothing about Domingo Herman? I find it kind of weird. But they're two separate things. Domestic violence is one thing, and cheating at baseball is another. You cannot have guys cheating, okay, and just acting like it's no big deal, and you'll just get around to dealing with it whenever you feel like it. I'm sorry, but, you know, if you disagree with that, then you just don't get it. You're probably a Red Sox or an Astros fan. To me, it's really not that complicated. Major League Baseball is making it that complicated unless they're just doing some super thorough investigation and getting ready to lower the hammer. I don't get the impression that that's the case. Okay, NFL stuff now as we get through one round of the playoffs. Uh, again, there was no show last week, so we never got to do a, uh, never got to do a preview of anything. Um, you can follow me again on Twitter at BCAK the Man. Also, check out the BC the Man Facebook page, the Air Attack Facebook page. I do put content on there. I was kind of live tweeting everything. As stuff went on on uh, on Saturday and Sunday, um, I was just I was just too under the weather to do a show last week, unfortunately. But um, the big story, obviously, no Patriots. Is it really a big story, though? Did we really think they were winning this year? They weren't. Um, I know we've been having this conversation for ten years, but they just weren't that good this year. And you could just tell a couple things. Their defense was decent, but the defense got softer as the year went on. 
They also stopped playing the Jets, the Giants, the Redskins, uh, the Steelers with a banged up Roethlisberger and some of the tomato cans that they faced really in the first half of their schedule. And they started playing tougher teams, but they also got softer. They also got banged up. There's no question about that. And it just didn't work out with Antonio Brown. It just, you know, the wide receiver thing, they brought in Sanu. It just never really materialized for them. They just had almost a, just a very pedestrian sort of stale offense. Obviously, they missed Gronk this year. Uh, Edelman was hurt. I think it was, Edelman was also out the first few games. I think he was suspended this year, wasn't he? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it just it was a rough year for them. And in spite of that, they still get a three seed. Now, the fact that they lost the Dolphins the last week of the season, I don't think anybody could have predicted that. I mean, the Dolphins really fought very, very hard. Played hard. You know, you, you knew they were going to come in and try to win. They're an NFL team. Come on, guys. They were 16, 17-point favorites. It's one of the biggest upsets we've seen in the NFL ever. Ever. And they let Tennessee come in there and basically run all over them. Um, the Mike Vrabel stuff, there was, a, there was a drive there at the end of the game where they ran like 10 plays and it took, like, it took over eight minutes. And there's a loophole in the rules, which is completely preposterous that they let this go on in the NFL. And again, never mind, legalized gambling or not, there's too much on the line here. This is a playoff game. And you're allowed to do it in regular season games. And we've seen that regular season games can make all the difference. Teams getting to the postseason and having a shot and just, just going home where the clock is running and you can do a false start, a delay a game, and the clock will continue to run. And you, here you are, the team on offense, the team in the lead, and you could just run one play over the course of like two minutes. It's crazy. I think they ran a minute and 45 seconds off on, on fourth down, just on fourth down, between third and fourth downs. It was ridiculous. And, and Belichick had done it a few weeks ago. I think he did it to the Jets. And he kind of did it almost on purpose, I think, to sort of highlight how ridiculous the rule is. Vrabel does it. Now, it could have come back to haunt him. It didn't, but it could have. Um, that game really hinged on one thing, though. First and goal for the Patriots from the one-yard line. The entire game changes there. The I mean, the entire game right there is different. Instead of being 17-7, it's 13-7. Tennessee comes down the field, makes it 14-13. And that's how the entire second half went. That was the entire second half. That last Titans touchdown obviously came out of pick six. And they almost got another one late, which would have made a difference to me. But, you know, neither here nor there. That game, I mean, that game should have flown over the total. Flown over the total. Instead, the Patriots, first and goal from the one-yard line, not only don't get in, they burn two timeouts doing it. I mean, it was completely ridiculous. Complete, and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the, the, the play calling, the personnel on the field, the talent. It's first and goal from the one-yard line in an NFL playoff game. Figure it the hell out, guys. Figure out how to get into the end zone because that changed the entire game. It's the Tennessee Titans. Give me a break. Not Baltimore. It's the Titans. Not the Bears. It's the Tennessee Titans. I mean, grow up, guys. Two time, two timeouts, and those are the three plays you came up with. Loss of one, gain a yard, loss, gain a one, loss of two. Those are the three plays they came up with. That was terrible. Buffalo and Houston. Buffalo is just not ready to win a playoff game on the road. That was the kind of game where Buffalo gets up 16-0, and you're saying, man, here comes Houston coming back, and you're like, boy, whichever one of these teams loses this game, this is going to be a gut punch. To, to one of these fan bases. Houston finds a way to blow it every year. They always play in that time slot, it seems like. I don't know about you, but I had just about enough of J.J. Watt, and I like J.J. Watt. I love what he did for the city a few years ago, but my God, every other camera shot is J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt this, J.J. Watt that. How Deshaun Watson got away from that sack at the end of the game, I'm still not sure. I, I don't know how to guy. I thought those guys were going to kill him. Those guys, were, those guys were coming at him like a pair of missiles, and how he got out of there was just amazing, and that's it. The, game, the game's over. It was, it was just absolutely crazy. I think you're going to see one thing. When you watch them play Kansas City, I think you're going to get more of an appreciation for just how good Deshaun Watson is. Patrick Mahomes gets all the hype in the world. Deshaun Watson deserves pr pretty, pretty much just as much of it. He just doesn't have the guys around him. He doesn't have the system. 
You know, there is no Tyreek Hill. You know, his, his, the closest thing he has to Tyreek Hill is Will Fuller, and Will Fuller's hurt all the time. I think you'll get a nice, a nice sense of appreciation for just how good he is. Hopefully they come with, it, with a game plan, and we'll see what happens, see if their defense can hold up against, against Kansas City. Not a very good defense in Houston, but they do get a win. Good for them. About time, let's face it. And the NFC, um, the Saints once again find a way to lose. I'm sorry. January, the Saints will find a way to lose. Third year in a row, they've lost a playoff game on the last play of the game. You had that preposterous play in Minnesota a couple years ago. Speaking of how, how they don't tackle a guy, two guys in the Saints collide into each other, let Stephon Diggs go down the sideline, and K, you know that Case Keenan pass ends up being an overtime win. That was ridiculous. Obviously, last year we know what happened with the pass interference call that never was. And then this year, you know, everyone's saying, well, Minnesota outplayed them. Sean Payton, well, they outplayed us. They outcoached us. Oh, you definitely got outcoached. Don't worry about that. But is it is my imagination, or did you miss a field goal at the end of the first half that you, you normally make with Will Lutz? And was Taysom Hill not running guys over in the third and fourth quarter? And had your defense not shut them down? That was, that was, that was the Saints game to win. That's, that game, I tell you what, you're talking about first and 10 on the 20-yard line of Minnesota. You're down by three. What do you think the win percentage for the Saints was at that point? I would have said probably 80%, 90%. They were absolutely getting a field goal there. They were probably getting it to the end zone, except except Drew Brees, who wants to tiptoe around the Minnesota defense all day for no good reason because he's not doing anything productive. He ends up just throwing the ball into the ground anyway. He picks that one time. I think that was his first lost fumble the entire year. And there's your ball game. And then the play at the end, was it a push-off? Yes, it was a push-off on Kyle Rudolph. I don't want to hear it, Minnesota fans. Vikings fans, I tell you what, just enjoy the next six days. I have a feeling this is going to be the end for you guys. Okay? Kirk Cousins and that offensive line can handle the, the San Francisco pass rush. I'll be more than happy to eat these words next week. I don't think I'm going to have to. Okay, just enjoy the win. He pushed off. Now, were they, gonna, were they going to reverse that? No. For the Saints? Hell no. The, the officials, if you don't know this, in the National Football League are not too happy with the Saints getting an entire rule change based on their ineptitude last year. But that's what happens when you have inept officials. He definitely pushed off. I mean, he totally pushed off. But again, what is Sean Payton doing? I mean, you see Kyle Rudolph isolated on the outside against, against a guy who's about nine inches shorter than him. You think maybe calling a timeout would be a good idea there? <laughs> Mike, where did you think that ball was going? My guy, Troy Aikman was all over that. He goes, well, you got Rudolph up top there. Yeah, no shit, Troy. You think maybe, boy, I wonder what they're going to do. You think maybe they're going to throw it up in the air and see if the taller guy can catch it? That was not complicated stuff right there. Just a bad job by the Saints. Real, real bad job. Bad job by the offensive line. Bad job by the coaches. Bad job by Drew Brees. That building was going crazy with Taysom Hill. Marching them right down the field. Three years in a row, they just find a way to lose. Terrible. And then the Seahawks, boy, the Seahawks have just had a very odd year. I feel very badly for Carson Wentz, and I'm a Giants fan. I feel real bad for the guy. I mean, at this point, it's almost like he snake bit. That didn't look like a real big hit from Clowney. I guess it was. Josh McCown came oh so close to giving him a chance at the end there, getting him in the end zone, and, you know, obviously they would have gone for two. Seahawks just kind of find a way to win. That's going to be a very interesting game at Lambeau. I am not sold on the Packers. I know Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur did not exactly love each other. Somehow they've, they've gotten themselves a the number two seed. Kind of a bizarre year in the NFL playoffs. The Packers just don't come across as a two seed whatsoever. But there they are. Four-point favorites over Seattle. I don't know. If Seattle, you see, Seattle, the bottom line is, can they get blocking? Can they give Russell Wilson time? Can Russell Wilson give himself time? If so, he'll have success. Russell Wilson is one of those guys that doesn't necessarily need an offensive line to be completely intact, but... With all those running backs having gone down, you see Marshawn Lynch looking like, you know, kind of like his old self. Can he do it in consecutive weeks after being on the shelf for so long? You got some very fascinating matchups here. 
you know, Russ up against Aaron Rodgers, Minnesota going into San Francisco. Now here's Jimmy G as the number one seed. Can he handle that spot? Well, Holmes goes up against Watson and then Tennessee going to Baltimore. I'm sorry. I think this is the end of the line for the, for the Titans. I know what the Titans are going to try to do. They're, I mean, they're going to try to give Derrick Henry the ball 40 times and keep Baltimore off the field. I just don't think it's going to be nearly as easy against Baltimore as it was against the Patriots. Okay, college football stuff right here. Now, Tua declares for the draft. It's going to be interesting to see how he heals from this injury, how NFL teams evaluate him, how far down he slides. Some people think he's still going to go to Miami. Be very kind of, kind of interesting to watch that whole play out, whole thing play out. I, I think a lot of people thought Miami was tanking uh, based on how they were playing the first eight games of the season. The thing is, Miami's got a coach in Brian Flores who comes from the, the, the Bill Belichick tree. Those guys aren't really used to tanking. So I, and I think as a first-year coach, nobody wants to just sit there basically and, and just throw the season away. Otherwise, why are you there? So those, those guys on Miami, even after guys wanted out, you know, they just wanted to, to get out of there, make a Fitzpatrick and a bunch of guys just didn't want to be there anymore. Hey, you know, Brian Flores got those guys playing hard at the end of the year. Not the, not, not the Patriots, in a sense, out of the playoffs because the Patriots wouldn't have had to play last weekend if they had beaten the Dolphins. So it just goes to show you something. Now, ironically enough, they may end up with Tua anyway because Joe Burrow's going to go number one most likely to the Bengals. So it's just funny how things work out. You just never... Yeah, life, life is crazy. You just never know how it's going to work out. As far as Alabama fans who are unhappy he's not coming back, um, sorry, no. <laughs> no. I tell you what, Alabama fans, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Keep them closed. No peeking. Tell me what you see. Okay. What you're seeing in front of you right now should be nothing, and that's exactly what Tua owes you. Nothing. What more could this kid have given you? From a national championship to everything he's got to, in a lot of ways, his health, the kid has no choice but to come out right now. One more injury, and he's done. I mean, don't get me wrong. An NFL team would give him a shot, give him a look, but they're not, he's not going to get first-round money, probably not even second- or third-round money if he gets hurt again. He's got to do what's best for him. And we'll see again. I mean, he could go number five. He could go 15. He could go 25. It's very, with situations like this, when there's an injury involved, we've seen it before. I think DeMarco Murray had that problem. I'm pretty sure Adrian Peterson had that problem. Yeah, I mean, we're not worried about the, we're not worried about the talent. We're not worried about the character, but you're worried about the health. Chase Young is also coming out. Doesn't have the health problem. Did have a suspension early in the year, but if you know that story, I'm not really worried about that. You know, the guy borrowed some money. I really don't care what the circumstances are. I, and I'm not really a huge fan of the NCAA's rules to begin with. I'd be more worried about Chase Young if he, got if he was to have been arrested at his girlfriend's place at 3 o'clock in the morning because they were fighting or something. That, that would bother me. I'm not, bar well, I'm not worried about Chase Young's character, especially knowing his background. He comes from a law enforcement family, has an interest in, in possibly being, being an officer of some sort, maybe in the FBI or what have you, when he's done with his career. I'm not worried about Chase Young uh, from a health, health perspective or a character perspective. But all you Alabama fans that think Tua owes you one more year are out of your minds. As far as the national championship, I'm going to ride with the same, the same team here. I think it's LSU. I know the line has gone up a little bit. Maybe you want to put LSU in some sort of teaser with somebody else to get it to a pick -em, But I just don't think the way that I saw Ohio State have success against Clemson, I don't see Clemson slowing down on LSU. I think it's going to come down to one thing, and that's the moment. If the moment is not too big for, for LSU and Joe Burrow, and I don't see why it would be at this point, I think it's the Tigers, and I think finally, finally the fans in Louisiana get something to celebrate, which uh, they are long overdue for, that is for sure. And that's all the time we got this week on The Air Attack. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out Facebook.com slash The Air Attack. Also, follow me on Twitter and on SoundCloud at BCAK The Man, and look for The Air Attack with BC The Man on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, and on Spotify. Closing out tonight with our friend from Nashville. Here's Chase Allen with See Amazing. I am BC The Man. I'll see you guys next week on The Air Attack.